Hey, hey, everybody. If you're listening to this, you are listening to the first free hour of this episode of The Shift with Doug McKinty. If you like what you're hearing, please consider subscribing to the show in order to access the full feature-length versions of the podcast, as well as have access to the members' forum, where we discuss potential topics and interviews and dive deep into the overall concept of The Shift. For only six bucks a month, not only do you get the full-length episodes, but also an opportunity to co-create with me, your host, Doug McKinty, the future of the show. Go to www.theshiftnow.com or patreon.com backslash the shift and sign up today in order to help make the shift possible. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Good morning, noon, or night, wherever and whenever you are listening, you are listening to The Shift. I'm your host. My name is Doug McKinty. This episode was recorded on October 29th, 2021. I'm happy to announce that my guest on the program today is the one and only Ilana Freeland. Ilana has been researching the -the behind-the-scenes maneuvering of the military-industrial complex for decades and has now been able to connect the dots between the macro world of geoengineering and the micro world of nanotechnology. Like the Oracle from the Matrix series, Ilana predicts the future through an uncanny ability to understand the past. Her explorations into the vast network of corporate and government agencies clearly developing technologies of mass population control, transhumanism, and weather manipulation allow her to paint a big picture, which includes the endgame of full-spectrum dominance. In previous books, including Chemtrails, Harp, and the Full-Spectrum Dominance of Planet Earth, as well as Under an Ionized Sky, Alana exposes a concerted effort by those controlling the creation of military technologies to utilize the entire spectrum of electromagnetic frequency waves to interfere, not only with the natural forces of weather creation, but also the electromagnetic system which influences many processes within the human body. She also describes the dual-use function of many of these technologies which expand their implementation beyond the battlefield for applications within the civilian population. Her new book, Geoengineered Transhumanism, completes the trilogy showing how, after decades in the making, these new technologies are capable of literally interfacing with the mechanically augmented Human 2.0, fully integrated within a virtual metaverse managed by artificial intelligence. While many of these claims are hard to believe, Ilana's careful observation of peer-reviewed scientific studies and patent applications makes clear that these technologies have been the focus of billions of dollars worth of research and development funds spent in the post-World War II era. Once seen, this information cannot be unseen. Ilana's work clearly exposes a massive effort towards the creation of a society based on the control of the many for the benefit of the few. Modern technologies are now capable of affecting the human ability to exercise free will at the most fundamental levels. Stay tuned for this conversation that reveals the details of this plan and discusses what we can do about it. Though many seem enthralled by the prospect of human augmentation, and perhaps unknowingly participate in the creation of the modern technocratic panopticon, there are options for those who choose to cling to organic life and individual expression over collective exploitation. Ilana explains how an understanding of the function of life-affirming etheric energy, once common knowledge within the scientific community, can counterbalance the mechanizing effects of the electromagnetism favored by the controlling class. 
Through the cultivation of this life energy and detoxification of the body from the effects of electromagnetism and nanotechnology, we can maintain control over ourselves and remain free to choose a life of harmony with nature over immersion in the machine world currently under construction. If you haven't already, I urge all of my listeners to take a deep dive into the work of Alana Freeland. Find out more at www.elanafreeland.com. As always, please like, subscribe, and share this interview throughout your social media networks. We rely on listeners like you to distribute this important information. To sign up for the newsletter, discover hours of free content, or subscribe for feature-length versions of the show, go to www.theshiftnow.com. You can also find The Shift with Doug McKenty on Facebook, YouTube, Rockfin, Telegram, and at dmckenty on Twitter for more information about the program. Without further ado, I'd like to thank Alana Freeland for agreeing to this interview, and thank you for helping to make The Shift. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this, the 98th episode of The Shift. I'm your host, Doug McKinty, and I am so happy today to be joined by Ilana Freeland. Ilana Freeland is the author of multiple books, uh, Chemtrails, Harp, and the Full Spectrum Dominance of Planet Earth, Under an Ionized Sky, From Chemtrails to Space Fence Lockdown, and the new one that is coming out here very shortly, Geoengineered Transhumanism, how the environment has been weaponized by chemicals, electromagnetics, and nanotechnology for synthetic biology. So what we're going to be talking about today is the full spectrum dominance that these guys uh, have built around us and they're implementing uh, on, a, on a larger scale now than ever before. Um, but what's really exciting for me is to have this conversation about how the macro, the geoengineering is connected to the micro, the nanotechnology, and, and even some of the, uh, the MK ultra trauma bonding, controlling uh, types of experiments that have been going on now for decades, it all seems to be coming to a head. And uh, Alana has really uh, nailed it, I think, with this new book in terms of allowing us to really see the big picture of what's going on now and what has been going on for a long time. So Alana, thanks for coming on the show. Welcome. Do you want to uh, just give my audience a little bit about your background and, and why you wanted to write these books? Sure, sure, Doug. Um, yeah, I uh, I always wanted to be a writer uh, since I was a little girl, and I think I was accused of plagiarism the first time was when I was eight years old, and my teacher said I had copied the story from somewhere. So uh, it, I just didn't think that I would be doing this kind of writing because I didn't really understand the era I was living in when I was younger. So through all my, the 60s, I came of age in the 60s. I had tea with Ken, President Kennedy in the Rose Garden three months before he was mm. murdered like a dog in, in Dallas. And, and uh, that really began my political sensibility for um, the weighing that personal life versus public life. And I would say that I am uh, pretty much I've never been very good at the personal life, truthfully, other than uh, a lot of reading. Uh, but I am pretty good in the public life. And, uh, and so I very much feel that what I've been studying and observing for over half a century is really uh, coming to a head now. And it all fits together. And I certainly didn't know that when I first started writing Chemtrails Harp back in 2012. Uh, that was when we had the great conference in LA called Consciousness Beyond Chemtrails. Uh, 
and I met all the luminaries of that uh, movement at that time. I was I was a nobody. I was a friend of Clifford Carnicum, the independent scientist who mm-hmm. started in the 90s um, uh, examining uh, what he was collecting coming from the wake of jets over northern New Mexico. He never thought it was contrails. He knew what a what a chem- chemical signature looked like in the sky, and he recognized immediately that these were chemical trails, not not condensation water trails. So um, he became a really good friend, and I uh, did some work when I was living in England for Adam Parfrey at Farrell House Press, and. Um, Adam then asked me if I thought I could write a book on chemtrails. So that's how it came about. It wasn't wasn't necessarily through my uh, friendship with Clifford or anything. It was that Adam wanted uh, to give me a break, I think, to publish a book uh, by me. So I I wrote that book uh, with the help of Clifford, uh, looking over my shoulder as I explained um, the... uh, sort of like a, the patents uh, of Bernard Eastland, who was very much the man that gave the keys to the kingdom to those who need, knew they needed to control the atmosphere. They knew that. And uh, so I, um, I wrote about that in the book. I wrote about Clifford's work on Morgellons. Uh, we had all done the red wine test to see of these filaments, these fibers that were falling from these jets. Mm-hmm. And Clifford was able to eventually break into the polymer fibers and find the organs of something that had been bioengineered. So, um, you know, it all was starting then, and I had no idea how big it was at that point. But by writing that one book, I suddenly realized uh, through a conversation with someone who heard me on uh, on that all-night radio show that hundreds of thousands, millions of people listen to, coast to coast, uh, I, I got in contact with the guy who'd been working for the military industrial intelligence complex pretty much all his life, Billy Hayes. And Billy Hayes is known as the harp man because he was on the team that built the phased array antennas up in Gakona, Alaska, to make the ionospheric heater that has become famous for its acronym, if nothing else, the High Frequency Active Aurora Research Project. So Billy pretty much hand-led me through what I had written before and pointed out what direction it was going in. And it was obviously going in the direction of building a space fence grid above and on the planet in which the plan was to plug us all in, not just our brains either, but our genetics. And so um, I then began uh, the Under an Ionized Sky from Chemtrails to Space Fence Lockdown, looking at Catherine Austin Fitt's idea of the secret space program and how it had, uh, it accounted possibly for the disappearance of $21 trillion from the, um, the American budget. And it was in the, in looking at it through a canopy of secret space program and understanding that uh, there was a, a Russian 
uh, whose name, let me just grab it, a Russian uh, astronomer named Nikolai Kardashev. And Kardashev had um, come up with the idea that if a civilization wanted to be really great and really have a space age and have dominance in space as well as on the earth, it would have to do three things. And the first thing was full spectrum dominance over planet earth. And that would include not just military stuff, not just NASA and NOAA and that sort of thing. No, full spectrum dominance over everyone and everything and all of life. Uh, and then the next thing it would need to do is to do the same with uh, with its sun, with uh, solar. And definitely, I can uh, definitely say that they are now working very hard on controlling the sun. And uh, right now it's solar minimum, perfect time for them to work. Uh, but that, you know, when they blame climate change and all the rest on the solar minimum, or they say it's going to get too hot or it's going to get too cold or whatever they say, it's all cover stories. It's all nonsense. Mm -hmm. it, it's not at all about what they're doing. And the third step is, sounds almost like a fairy tale I used to tell when I was a Waldorf teacher, uh, <laughs> in that they want to control the galaxy. <laughs> it's sort of like hubris times, you know, a thousand. Right. So, so that's, that's the, uh, I think that's the overarching canopy of, of what's going on uh, and has been going on for decades. Uh, not, not just to be king of the world, but to actually be, king of the universe. And, um, and that sort of hubris uh, really explains the uh, no holds barred and all of the laws. If you start to examine the patents, you're looking at uh, a lot of the laws that have been made. You see that there is uh, a constant opening of the doors, opening of the doors, less law, uh, allowing many things to go on, such as to the, to the very degree now where the genetics are turning from molecular to digital, and uh, many people are have been invited at home because uh, they can order uh, they can order virus, they can order bacteria from uh, some sort of uh, uh, place where you can get them for a few dollars and get them home and uh, get them into your lab and just go to town. And meanwhile, you, uh, they're kept, these people are kept track of, of course, their sales are kept track of, and they're, they're watched to see what they come up with. So um, the idea of um, macro to micro, yes, it's all the way from space, where we have a lot of satellites up now, as you know, we have a lot of uh, nanosensors, that's very, very important. Uh, a lot of nanoparticles uh, being spewed by the jets, by the uh, rockets, by the drones, uh, all uh, up in the stratosphere. And a lot of those will get caught in centrifugal force as the earth is turning, but uh, a lot of them fall to the earth. And so my concern when I was writing the second book and had finished it, was that, wow, you know, we're breathing in all the nanoscale uh, implements 
that the space fence is using in order to have full spectrum dominance over planet Earth. So we're not just breathing in like little dust mites or something. Uh, no, we're breathing in actual mechano-electro-MEMS, uh, they're called, M-E-M-S. And these are sensors, but they have tiny computers in them so that they're, uh, they're broadcasting and they're receiving. And um, they can be programmed to do different things. Uh, so we have those in our body. And so my next question, of course, was, wow, we have it in our bodies. Do you suppose that was intentional? Do you suppose this is not just something that is sort of a sidebar to the secret space program, but that actually uh, now the implements are in us for for full control over human beings. Uh, and, uh, and that's why I started writing this last book. Mm -hmm. And it is my last, I swear, I will not write <laughs> another geoengineering book. I think I have said, I've taken it all the way home to the, the gene and of course mind control, as you mentioned. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's, it's amazing that you could have a sort of class of people on the planet who, first of all, uh, their predecessors would have gone back to the Nazis in Operation Paperclip. Uh, they would have worked on um, MKUltra. They would have worked on all the, all the different classified programs that, of course, the 1947 National Security Act covered for because you could never discuss any of those in Congress, in a, in a Senate hearing or a committee meeting, nothing. So uh, everything was taken into private sessions. Uh, and, and so you had the, you had the Cold War, which uh, was, uh, was completely a sham, I have to say. Never really happened, but it did happen in another way. Uh, similar to global warming and climate change now, it was the cover story for... Um, uh, the fact that we were supporting all that Russia was doing, all that the Soviet Union was doing. They couldn't have done it without our money, without the money of the West. Uh, and uh, meanwhile, like uh, sort of like Cain and Abel, we were sort of vying with each other, sparring with each other, while many, a huge weapons arsenal shifted from missiles to directed energy weapons. Uh, and so um, all of this was to have this full spectrum dominance. And meanwhile, in genetics, uh, the Human Genome Project, the Brain Initiative, all of these things, big, big money pouring into these, not for to make people better or to help them with their Alzheimer's from all of the now, uh, uh, the endless wireless technology that's everywhere and completely, uh, in uh, antithetical to our nervous system it lasting. Um, and so you, when you when you look at the big picture like I do, and, and my way of working is, um, is probably quite unorthodox, I would imagine. I certainly never went, I, I got a master's in historiography, but uh, to find out how to write histories, but um, I never got a PhD. I could have gotten a PhD. I had people who wanted to support me for a PhD. No, no, I didn't want the conditioning. I didn't want the programming that goes on in the PhD programs. Um, and 
and I just sort of read and read and read uh, in order to better understand. I, I had studied biology. I'd been, I really loved it in, in college, but I, um, I didn't know that much about physics, really. That was my father's field. My father's field was physics and chemistry. Uh, but I, um, I, I don't know, just something opened up in me that for the sake of the biology of life, uh, I was willing to learn anything. Well, this side of higher mathematics, <laughs> forget that. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, uh, I, I would read something, decide that it had something to do with what I was interested in, and I'd print it off. And that's kind of how I developed, you know, a couple, three, I don't know how many thousands of pages of notes I had in my files. But to write the book, I, when I felt ready, it was more just a going through from what I knew well to what I knew less and doing the amount of reading I needed to do in order to really have a handle on what I knew less. And, and slowly as you, as you build each subject, like in the first seven chapters of the book, uh, I'm looking at, at geoengineering again. I take another look at it after four years. Um, it's, there are things that have changed. I've changed. Uh, I'm looking at different things in it. So uh, to go from what I know to then going to the second part of the book where I'm actually examining the smart city, which I already had a lot of notes on, looking at how the MEMS, the GEMS, and the NEMS, which are all uh, nanosensors, how they're playing a role in the smart city, how the lighting of the smart cities is, is uh, being used as a dual use and dual use is extremely important because just about every technology we love, uh, you know, I've never owned an, an iPhone and I've never owned a television. All of these technologies came from the military. I have to remind people, they did not come from corporations initially. Uh, and, uh, and they all have a dual use. They're for military use as a weapon and they're also for civilian convenience, comfort, entertainment, etc. So it's it's kind of a, a really brilliant system whereby you can you can have weapons in plain sight, but nobody really knows how they operate. We certainly don't cover them in the schools. We're not interested in having kids know how they work. You have a few science geeks there, fine, but uh, you lead them on this very droll curriculum that really is sort of already historical in a sense and not really up to date on what's going on now. And then you pull, you pluck out the bright kids uh, from various, uh, oh, uh, you know, you might have a contest or you, you've already watched this kid for years since they were in grade school. And then you pull them out for special programs for uh, that, uh, that uh, Microsoft is running or Google's having a wonderful conference for bright kids, you know, bright science minded. And then those kids are pretty much toast because they're going to be used. And in order to use them, it's not impossible that they're going to be subjected to the latest version of MKUltra. So, um, you know, being bright now is almost, you want to throw a bushel over it so that the uh, bad boys don't notice this poor kid so that this kid could have a life of his own. Um, so, it, it, you know, all of it has been uh, all the way from the CIA that I studied years ago, uh, and and in my own generation saw the CIA doing uh, taking over the FBI. I certainly knew that when I was 22 years old.
I knew it was a done deal. That COINTELPRO was really uh, a CIA program that they were training FBI agents in. Hmm. So uh, that the CIA was always domestic. Uh, that was no news to me. But now people are slowly waking. Wow, you know, this is, I mean, all of this has been here all along. It's been the challenge to wake people up before it's too late. And uh, I have to say that uh, even though the fat lady hasn't sung yet, and I always say that, it's, this ain't over till it's over. There's a fight going on now. There's a war. Uh, and uh, for the sake of humanity's future, I might add, and for the sake of life on Earth, uh, it's, its future. Um, but the, uh, the idea that, it, that they could have come so far and then they did take me by surprise by doing the thing that happened in 2019. I remember, I'll never forget, watching uh, on the internet that scene in Wuhan when people are just dropping on the sidewalk, right. on the street. And whether those were actors or not, it doesn't really matter to me because what was being announced was the advent of 5G. 6G, and uh, and the, the oxygen that's just sucked right out of you, just gone, and you are, you're dead. Uh, so uh, to me, when they turned it to the virus, and they had this whole story about the virus, and you know, and then there was this about the uh, alliance between Harvard and uh, you know Lieberman and and Lieberman and and uh, Wuhan and you know the story the storyline and I was interested in the storyline and that's one reason the book is several months later than uh, I thought it would be because I had to really listen every day to breaking news in the storyline of what was going on and uh, I, I mean I it didn't take me by surprise anymore after that initial scene when I realized uh, what was going on regarding uh, this so-called CV-19. Uh, but I think uh, I now was able to finish the book. Oh, and by the way, here it is. Great. 690 pages, Doug. <laughs> I'm embarrassed. I'm absolutely embarrassed. But to tell such a big story, you, you need a lot of pages. Sure. And there are 60 illustrations. Um, so I was ready to completely grasp how the three phases of delivery that have happened over the last 30 years, uh, uh, yeah, about 30 years, uh, all the way from the chemical trails in the sky delivery system to the GMO fields that Monsanto, of course, produced its aluminum resistant seed because it was already in collusion with the geoengineers dropping aluminum big time on us, aluminum oxide, all nano scale. And, uh, and then the, that's the second delivery system. And, and I have to put in a, a, a little note here. I'm constantly amazed that people actually eat GMO foods. I mean, when you go to a restaurant, it makes sense that you're going to eat GMOs because they're trying to cut costs, but that you would actually go out and buy GMO foods and actually eat them makes no sense to me because don't you get what genetically modified means? Don't you get that 26 nations across the earth 
refuse to allow any GMOs in their borders. It's a federal offense and no one is allowed to grow any of that. It's genetically modified. What does that do to your cells? I mean, come on, just put it together. Yeah. So I've eaten organic since I was 21 years old. And um, I, when I go out to eat with friends, I don't sit there and pick at things and criticize. No, I eat the meal. Then I come home and I'm a, I eat like a saint for a couple of days so that I can get back on track. All right, that's the second delivery system. The third delivery system is, of course, the, the, no, the famous vaccine. And, of course, they've been using that as a piggyback mechanism to get other things into babies uh, for many years. I, I did not uh, I did not allow vaccinating of my children, uh, and uh, I certainly have not uh, suffered under any vaccine since I was uh, I think I was last time I was six years old, uh, and so those three delivery systems. All right, now you can see that they've taken the third one a step further, and now what they're inoculating people with and calling it a vaccine, but it's not a vaccine. Uh, it's an inoculation. Uh, it's a gene therapy. Uh, and uh, it is in putting into people uh, much more than, and certainly nothing to do with COVID-19. That's, that's a ruse, that's, a, that's an illusion. It, it doesn't even exist. Um, so they're implanting software into people's bodies and with a lot of other equipment such as the graphene oxide, the hydrogel. Uh, now we find about these, uh, these fauna that are in there, these uh, uh, parasites and, uh, and the hydra with the three legs and all this stuff that they're putting into these people uh, for uh, their dual use uh, agendas of uh, transforming the human gene, uh, the genome into a uh, some sort of hybrid, and uh, and really reclassifying a vast uh, number of human beings as uh, as uh, transhumans, and you can find the patents that cover this because uh, you know they don't they don't make a they don't make a move in genetics or molecular biology or digital biology without first checking out how they can own it as a weapon system. And that has to do with, uh, with of course, the, uh, the ability to change it so it's not natural, gain of function, they call it, gain of function. And then uh, from there, uh, then you have the patent. And in the patent for the transhuman, and there is, there are several patents for transhumans already. There will be more. Uh, it's they make it clear that the transhuman will not qualify for human rights. So this is this is the deal. This is how they're they're proceeding, and it is understandable, isn't it, to people? Even though you you you, I'm sure a lot of people listening have relatives who've already had the jab. Uh, who felt they were doing humanity a noble deed because they wanted people to be safe and all the things they've been told by the almighty television. Um, you do understand that 
this picture is so big and and it's it's so bold what's happened so bold you have to give them that the global elite that that it, it's understandable people people won't understand what's going on they just they can't imagine operating on a scale such as i describe in this latest book the scale itself is is it's it's absolutely unbelievable and of course the idea of these people uh is that you know it doesn't matter how you do something it's just that you get it done and so it's ruthless it's absolutely ruthless with scientists with with political figures um it's use, using every trick in the book and of course having taken over the mainstream media Back in 1973 is when the CIA took it over, and I've got that documented. 73, we have not had a real media since then. So when you control all the media, what's to worry about? Because most people are now conditioned, and they are unaware of the technology in the new televisions which is not only listening to everything they say, whether the TV is on or not, but it's also filming everyone. And it's also putting out its own subliminals that are operating straight to the brain, straight to the brain. They don't need the old subliminals of disguising Coca-Cola. You want to have a Coca-Cola behind mm -hmm. some picture. No, that, that, that technology is old school. No, they can now do it another way. And um, pulsing people through their iPhones, uh, pulsing uh, by triangulating with uh, cell towers, uh, satellite pulsing, uh, however you want to look at it, as long as they keep particulate matter in the air, and that's where the chemical trails still come in, they're still necessary. They they have not, even though some people say to me, yeah, but Ilana, I haven't seen any trails for a long time. No, that's because it's patented and, and already a done deal that they can they can put up um little chem bombs here and there and 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 uh pop them and then they become uh the cloud cover, the cirrus cloud cover that they need for a variety of reasons. And the cirrus clouds we have now are not the ones of yesteryear. These are plasma clouds. Uh, they're created with electromagnetism and chemicals. Uh, so so we, we have the air is constantly particulated because we need that for wireless operations and we are constantly breathing it in. So what we need for a remedy for this, just that part of it, right? No, we're not going to deal with the big, the big questions of the vaccine and all that. What we need is, is something that is a maintenance system by which you can alleviate mm -hmm. uh, a, a great number of these nanoparticles that you are, because tomorrow you're going to be breathing in another trillion of them. Uh, that I, that can't be helped, but there are ways. And uh, I always mention um, the herbalist, the Canadian herbalist, Tony Pantaloresco. He's one of many now, uh, but um, Tony has uh, really spent a lot of time over the last decade and more uh, 
experimenting with ways to get the nanotechnology out of our bodies. And that, that is very important. And that would include the graphene oxide because the graphene oxide are nanotechnology as well. So um, the nanotechnology in my estimation is the next turn of the keys to the kingdom. Uh, and and uh, the guy who invented uh, nanotech, uh, Eric Drexler, uh, we're going back to the seventies here when he was in grad school, he realized and sort of sat on his invention, didn't even talk to his friends about it. Uh, he realized that it could be very dangerous to loose what he had in mind, these tiny, 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 uh, you know, one nano, one nanometer is the size of a, uh, of a one billionth of a meter. And that a nanometer, uh, a nano made out of elements from the periodic table uh, is, is down to the atomic level. So, you know, you make a nano by laying five atoms next to each other or a hundred atoms or a thousand atoms. That's how you do it. Uh, this, this, this coming that close to the atomic level on a, on a, on a scale of material materiality that this is actually physical um wow i think it's opened some portals as we call them or doors to uh quantum parallel dimensions uh and what's coming through there as when i wrote the chapter in the last book about cern um you know i'm not sure what's coming in uh and right. this is where we cross over from the the very physical to something else and that's that may be my greatest concern about the nanotechnology in us and the nanotech that is in the uh, inoculations going on now is that that uh, these nanos they they live in this realm yes but they they kind of live in another realm because they have a consciousness, not not a single consciousness, not not one nano thinking or anything like that. No, the the nanos, the nanobots, the nanorobots, the ones that have been uh, manhandled, you might say, uh, they consolidate into tribal structures, you might want to call them, where they um, they actually swarm together and they. They think together and they receive their instructions from remote uh, laptop boys who are, are running programs from wherever they are. Uh, there, is, there is a consciousness there. So that's why we have patents now named in some part of the naming, uh, the inorganic life, these are called, mm. inorganic life, uh, because they do have a consciousness and um, that may that may sound very creepy, uh, but of course, you know, even parasites have a consciousness. Uh, even uh, the flora and fauna in your intestinal tract that makes your intestines work well have a consciousness. But this, this is a little different. So, so let's just imagine I have them in me, and and I know I have them in me. By the way, uh, when Clifford Carnicum was doing all of his testing. Uh, you know, I guess the shocking part to me was that, yeah, we're all breathing the air. 
So, uh, you know, across the earth, not just in the United States or in NATO countries. Uh, so we all have this Morgellons fiber in us. We all have it in, in us. But whether or not it's activated is another story. And whether or not it is promulgating uh, on a large scale because your body is acidic uh, is another story. Because I think if I were to recommend to people anything, it would be to watch your acidic your acid alkaline balance mm -hmm. because the uh, the nanotech does very well with acidity, uh, but not very well with alkalinity. It, it becomes quiescent anyway. It's not that it kills it. Nothing kills it. Just so you know, nothing, nothing kills it. It just transmutes or it goes dormant. Mm. So, uh, so, okay. So where was I? I was, I was off on another trail and now I've forgotten it. Um, Mm. We were talking about the the consciousness um, and the way that these nanobots uh, yes. can work together. Got it. So uh, so imagine that the consciousness, the swarm consciousness of these little entities that are at the atomic level of sorts. Uh, imagine that your consciousness is now going to connect with their consciousness. Imagine that you could take your consciousness and actually uh, dominate them, despite the fact that they are being uh, remotely controlled on some level by uh, supercomputers, uh, AI systems somewhere, whatever. Imagine that your consciousness could override that. This is where I am now. This is, I mean, yes, I'm very grateful for like Tony Pantaloresco's baths and um, his, he has a thing called the triangle. You can go to his sites and you can find out how to build them. Uh, the, the nano bucket or the ionizing foot bath. Uh, all of these things are good for maintenance. Yes, very good. Mm -hmm. But imagine that you could, uh, you could actually dominate them with your human consciousness because the human consciousness is much greater if you use it. Now, a lot of people just choose to be couch potatoes and uh, sort of wait for the next thing to happen and then react to it. Um, that's not the kind of consciousness I'm talking about. And so I've begun experiments with that. <laughs> uh, you know, getting to know you, getting to know you right. uh, with my, my little nano uh, colony, which is probably not very little in me now. And um, and I have to admit, I, I see some uh, I see some evidence of this uh, that uh, I'm having some success. I, I wish I could prove it to you. I wish I could, like you know, take out my little project and and uh, and you could look at it. But you have to take my word that I've been working on this for a few months. Let's uh, let's actually kind of analyze some of the the scientific aspects so when we start talking about consciousness i think this is what your work is really touching on uh is that consciousness is actually a, a scientifically quantifiable thing that works in a certain way with these uh with these within these frequency bands and technologists within the government within these classified pro programs have been actually studying this now for decades and they've figured out how to influence consciousness with nanotechnology and with electromagnetic frequency. And so, uh, you know, just because it sounds, it's, 
I mean, we could talk about why more people don't know about this. I oftentimes bring up on this show that in other cultures, in traditional Chinese culture or in Hinduism or any uh, native, uh, you know, indigenous uh, philosophies, they all understood that this is how consciousness worked and, and that it worked on these on this frequency level. Um, but most people now being raised in this culture are not raised with that knowledge. So it's just totally foreign to them uh, that human beings actually do work on an electromagnetic frequency level that that our thoughts are determined by this that our organs utilize these frequencies that our brains use i mean i think people you know they know that the heart has an ekg or that there's such a thing as brain waves but they don't get that that these waves interact with our environment in the natural environment in a in a good and healthy way you know as we've evolved within nature and now the technologists have learned how to essentially co-opt that natural system and are being able to influence us externally uh, by hijacking that system within us. It's all, it's all, you know, because when you start talking about consciousness, it sounds woo-woo, but it's actually all science-based. I mean, it's all, you know, they've just figured out the oh, system yeah. and how it works. So it's not well, really as, as esoteric as people, you know, may, may think. And I think that that you brought up a really good point because I think that that conditioning that people have undergone, it's kind of like you bring up the the idea of eating organic food. Right away, people think of hippies and uh, right. the new age, and you know, and back to nature. And uh, it, it's the same thing with the word consciousness. You your conditioning is that that has to do with maybe Zen Buddhism or it has to do with meditation, or it's something uh, kind of woo-woo. And that's, that's the conditioning. And, and, and to, in order to understand exactly what you're saying and what I'm saying, uh, you know, th the first step is going to have to be looking at your conditioning. Right. You've got yeah. to look at your conditioning. And there's so much evidence that this we're conditioned like this on purpose. Mm -hmm. Like they, you know, I, I, mm -hmm. I view it as the, the colonized consciousness that we're, you know, we're, we're indoctrinated into this empire and the leaders of the empire clearly don't want us to know how to use our consciousness, because if we did, then we'd be individuated and we wouldn't be listening to them anymore. We'd be thinking for ourselves. Right. So they exactly. don't teach us how to do that. Clearly they exactly. teach us how to follow orders. And I think there are, some technologies that people should uh, get rid of actually. Yeah. And of course the TV is number one, get rid of the TV. Don't even give it to someone. You're not doing them a favor. Believe me. Right. Get rid of it. I, I once had a TV smashing party years ago when I was a Waldorf teacher, but we had, we smashed about three or four. It was very satisfying. It's a lot of cleanup, but. Right. It's been amazing <laughs> to me um, to see, especially in the last year and a half here, just how much the media and the television, I mean, people listen to it and that's just mm -hmm. what they believe. And it doesn't, mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't matter do. the information that you give them that's not being handed to them nope. by the television. You know, they're not going to listen to it because they've been programmed and well, and they've been programmed to think that we're the ones with the false information. Right, right. That's really that's really quite brilliant and quite satanic. You know, say, say, Satanists are very good at inverting things. Right. Um, okay, so uh, yeah. so yes, the uh, consciousness is. Uh, I think the first step is to get rid of those things that are undoing your consciousness, and that would include the iPhone, and mm -hmm. and that's that would be a big deal because. 
oh, everybody tells me how they just could not do without their iPhone. I've never even owned one. I, so I, I don't have that withdrawal symptom. I have a landline. It's here to collect messages. It's here uh, already. The 60 hertz in the walls and, and you know, and, and I live in, I try to live in old places so that I don't have the Internet of Things uh, thing to worry about. So the examination of the technology around us that we think is entirely about our convenience and our comfort and, you know, making life easier, quote unquote, is really not what you think it is. And uh, in order to change our consciousness, we're going to have to change our habits. And that's tough because, mm -hmm. you know, you get some habits at, you know, like my cup of coffee, strong coffee in the morning. Oh, well, I can do it. I yep. can do it. But I always feel like I'm missing something, right? <laughs> uh, and my brain it. cells are going, uh, not being as vibrant as usual, right? So, yes, it is hard. It is. I'm asking a hard thing from people. But I think that if you, if you ch exchange these uh, baubles and beads for real consciousness, I think you're going to be surprised at what a human being really is. Yeah. A lot of people have a very skewed idea of that a human being is like a a meat bag, I think, was one term used a long time ago. And then now you, uh, I read patents uh, for various technologies, and uh, it's very common that you read there's hardware, there's software, and there's wetware. Hmm. And the wetware is us. And um, that's a, it used to be that the CIA had that term, and I assume wetware comes from them because they had a term called uh, wet operations. And that was a nice term, I guess. Didn't sound, it sounded kind of icky to me for assassination. Uh, so we are the wetware, but when, and then there's a chapter in the book, I get into esoterics in this book, Doug, more than I have in the other books. Mm -hmm. I think the most esoteric I did in the last book was in the chapter I covered on plasma and ether. Uh, and um, and scalar energy. I think I got a bit esoteric there. But now I, I'm going full out in one chapter, lots of esoterics about the human brain and what thought really is, what, what human thought really is. Uh, it's far different than you've been told. You've been told your brain thinks. That's nonsense. It's kind of like saying that when a diver dives off the diving board, that the dive is that the diving board is totally responsible for the dive. Not really, not really. It simply makes it maybe you can do a few more tricks with it, but you can definitely see that the diver is in charge. And that's the way it is for our consciousness. But if we if what I'm thinking is true about the nanotechnology and we're not just talking about the nanotechnology in my body. We're talking about the fact that nanotechnology is everywhere. It's in it's in cosmetics, it's in um, foods. Uh, all the refined foods have uh, used nanotechnology, nanobots, nano nanoparticles for filler. Nano this, nano that. Sensors are everywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, if we were able to have a conscious relationship with the nano world, the nano species, you might call it, the inorganic life 
nano species. Uh, that, that might be the key because now the genie is out of the bottle and is actually being jammed into people's bodies in, in inoculations. And all of those nano uh, particles and nanobots inside the body immediately self-replicate. They are, they are known for being extremely rapid in their self-replication. That's why I say, if you don't want them replicating really fast in your body, watch your al acid alkaline balance. Uh, very, very important. Clifford Carnicum discovered that uh, by uh, having uh, the fibers in uh, in the petri dishes. So, um, so the yes, you're right. The consciousness needs to be explored. You have a different consciousness when you go around people. You have a from when you're alone. Um, you have a different consciousness when you're talking to a child uh, and uh, or or even your your dog. Uh, or your horse, and um, so start start really looking at what consciousness is, because it is not simply I need to pick up a quart of milk on my way home kind of thing. That that is not consciousness. You have to be conscious to do it in the sense that you're not asleep, you're not supine on the bed. Mm -hmm. But think of how many people you're seeing now. I don't know about you, Doug, but I can speak for myself. Who who have been uh, jabbed, have undergone at least two jabs, and, uh, and um, their, their consciousness uh, changes. So uh, this is very real. This assault on humanity is very real, and we need all hands on deck. I'm not asking you to examine your consciousness as a lark, as a uh, you know a Zen Buddhist uh, meditation technique, no, I'm saying that if we have any way out of this dilemma, it's going to be through uh, consciousness, and mm -hmm. so you have to be really uh, surveillant of your lifestyle, make some hard decisions about what you're doing and not doing in in your uh, lifestyle, and um, take this technology, this dual-use technology, very seriously uh, and uh, not wait for the experts or the kind, benign experts that you you think you're going to, you know, like uh, uh, somebody uh, like Robert F. Kennedy coming along, uh, Junior coming along and uh, fixing things. No, it's not going to happen that way. Uh, and this is not going to end quickly either. So uh, we really need to get on the ball here. and And that's one of the things. And then you go to those sites where uh, Tony Pantaloresco and others are uh, experimenting with, um, with vitamin C and ivermectin and, you know, all of these different things. This is our, our, uh, our weaning ourselves from the great uh, smart hospital where mm -hmm. it, it, it is extremely dangerous go into those hospitals now. Not only people on staff already sold lock, stock, and barrel to the other side, as I call it, uh, but um, but the 5G, 6G system is up and running in a lot of these hospitals, and that, that will not help your health. So right. we really need to take command over our, our, our self-responsibility for our health and our mental health, again, by examining our technology I, and uh, setting ourselves different regimes. 
I think the way that I can view it maybe is that the consciousness, you know, from my Tai Chi practice, right. I I've learned that it's almost like a muscle, like your free will is like a muscle and you have to exercise it yes. or else you'll just be, and this is true really in the best of circumstances, you'll just be kind of working off subconscious programming without, yes. you know, without being able to use your free will to, uh, you know, to make more conscious decisions. And, and so all of this nanotechnology, even and the, and the macro and the geoengineering on the macro and the micro scale is really kind of designed to interfere with that free will capacity that we have so that we become more easily controllable. Right. That, that kind of makes sense. So we've got to, we've got to, we've got to exercise that, that free will muscle that we have. And that can, that can be enough. And it has to do with our immune system, believe it or not. I mean, Mm -hmm. one of the things that we've learned from this mRNA approach is that, uh, wow, uh, not only is it skirting its way around the immune system, but it's actually destroying the immune system. I mean, the white blood cells are not showing up. Uh, I mean, the, the antibody problem, I mean, it's, it, you, you just, if you want, if you just get over, you know, oh, well, I don't have a PhD in science and I'm not a doctor. You get over that and start paying attention to the details and understand that, yes, this is all. And I, I actually pointed out in the book over and over again that, that the immune system was completely under attack for decades. Right. What do you think all that junk food is for? Do you think it's just for profit? It's not just for profit. It's for destroying the immune system, depleting it. Because, and I read this in uh, a a Rudolf Steiner uh, person's uh, 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 essay that I really liked. Some of it I didn't think was so great, but this really got me, is what if your higher self, you know, the one that does the right thing, the one that runs your conscience, what if your higher self is in is connected to your immune system. What if, what if that's true? That here's the immune system we keep hearing about it. I mean, Tom mm-hmm. uh, Tom Cowan, Doctor Tom Cowan, even said there is no such thing as an immune system. He's right, of course. There is not this thing in there that's the immune system, like an organ. No, but there but it there is a there is a balance, and I already gave you a clue to part of the balance is the acid alkaline thing for the immune system. Mm-hmm. Uh, what if the higher self is connected to the immune system? Then by serving the higher self, you serve the immune system. By serving the immune system, you serve the higher self. Do you see where I'm going with this? I mean, it, it's instead of this this incredible split in the West between spirit and matter, right? between science and spirituality or religion or whatever, then what if they really aren't split, but they have been split by our warlike culture that has uh, wanted to have total control. Now we bring them back together by seeing the corollary, like a lemniscate between the higher self and the immune system. And, you know, I have a great immune system. I, I, I really, I, I'm so, it's not that I think it came from heaven. No, I've eaten carefully and, and drunk a certain water and all that, all these right. years, because I didn't want to be a broken down old lady that somebody had to take care of. Uh, so, so far, so good. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, you know, this, there is a reason for 
the reason they're after the immune system. You see, I mean, they're after it for sure. more than right. just the physical body. Is what you I'm are saying. listening to this. You are listening to the first free hour of the shift with Doug McKinty. For access to the full feature-length versions of the podcast, go to www.theshiftnow.com and subscribe for the audio version for just six dollars a month. Access the full-length episodes in video form through rockfin.com by subscribing at the Shift with Doug McKenty landing page. For $9.99 a month, you gain access not only to the Shift, but also all other premium content material hosted on the platform. Find out more at www.theshiftnow.com backslash store. Detoxify your body, decolonize your mind. Make the shift. Isn't it fascinating that they're talking about these, this virtual twinning now that we're going to have these virtual uh-huh. personalities inside. It's almost like they're taking, uh, you know, reality. I mean, I wonder, I question if this isn't, I mean, if our real life isn't almost a, a, sim, a simulation and I've got a body somewhere else, you know, and I'm, but I'm I perceiving and living in, inside this. I mean, I don't know if we can even answer I, I that I think in question. some people it's already happened, but sure. no, it's, it's going on with some people. It is. And and I'm sorry to say, I think a lot of them are younger. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, they were raised with TV and iPhones or and uh, and babysitters and daycares, and uh, everybody was too busy to be human. And uh, and I think it's already happening. I think we have right. to get good at deciding what is human, and then start really observing people to see if they are still still human. I mean, you know. Zuckerberg is is calling his company Meta now, and that's the metaverse. And now I'm I'm getting on Facebook today, thinking like, am I am I already sucked into this thing? Like, I mean, the, clearly Facebook is just you know these social media sites are just the beginning of this metaverse where your digital twin is going to live ad infinitum inside of a virtual reality. And uh, I mean, they're barely even hiding it, and they're not just hiding it they're they're bringing it out i mean they've been working on this as you well know for decades but now they're starting to bring it out into the public so we can i mean they're hurting people in this direction so they'll all join we're all into pl- the we're metaverse we're all plugged into one one degree or another now yeah. we all are even those of us who are aware of the process going on we right. have to be aware now in a different way and that might be the blessing uh, you know, the Chinese have a saying, the bigger the front, the bigger the back. Well, we're experiencing the back now. Uh, and now we need to look for the front of this, that there is something we can gain from this regarding our consciousness. But remember, the virtual self, the intent, their intent is that we will all be living in the Internet and that the virtual self will be telling the human what to do. Right. And we will do it. Yeah. That's their, that's their goal. Yeah. It's, it's really fascinating. Um, and it is a, a spiritual battle. I mean, like we were discussing before, people need to learn how to flex their consciousness muscle, you know, their yeah. own etheric muscle and cultivate their individuality to keep these things at bay. I mean, fortunately right now, I think you're right. I think all of us are immersed in to some degree or another, some less than others. Uh, if you're choosing to live in a EMF free or minimized environment, if you're eating organic or if you're eating alkaline, like you're talking about. Um, but I don't think any of us have escaped it completely. And, um, and, and it's also right now, I think, would you agree with this? It's, it's there. Well, this isn't, this is something 
I was thinking about uh, for a couple of reasons. So why don't we discuss this for a second, how they're kind of, they, they add this in layers. I mean, clearly they started with whatever, one G, two, three, four, and five. So we're all getting acclimated to it. Um, but then even with the nanotechnology, like they start spraying it in the skies. Now they're injecting it into people. Then there's booster shots. And then, you know, so over time, people are getting more and more of it. I think if they, you know, if they try to turn us all into cyborgs right away, there would just be a math death, a mass death situation going on. It's toxic for people to ingest this technology. And so I think by <coughs> stepping it up slowly, gradually, we're all getting it into us. Um, they're able to, you know, maybe take out a f- few people here and there, and then maybe people are getting more and more a- acclimated to it. You know what I mean? So that it's not happening all at once. Yeah. And at the same time, they're still experimenting. It's all experimental sure. uh, of how, what they're going to do with this once we're theirs. Because uh, they have a, a lot of different things. There'll be the space travelers. There'll be the the factory worker slaves. There'll be the, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they, they want the arts. They want a lot of things that their own bloodlines, as they well know now, are, 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 basically depleted they're not what they used to be and and they know that so uh so to what degree they'll be able to do this but i i wanted to say something before we sign off i I assume that's coming soon sure um and it has to do with this for those people who think they can wait for jesus christ to save them or buddha to save them or you know if they pray enough if they meditate enough however you want to look at it the problem with that is we are free will beings. And my knowledge of, uh, and I've had considerable spiritual experiences, given that my grandmother was a, a Roma gypsy and maybe I inherited some of her I'd say so. qualities. <laughs> uh, that that uh, I would say that we, we, must, we must stand firm. We must stand firm in our free will because they will not reach to help us None of them will, un- unless we ourselves stand and really reach into our strength and our free will to, to, to make a stand for humanity. Then the spiritual world will move for us. Right. I know that's how it works. There, it's not mommy and daddy up in the sky who are going to take care of us. We, we have to, we have to we've, we've been evolving a long time. Our masters on the earth now want to take that evolution away from us so that we only evolve according to their specs. We now must stand and uh, and then the spiritual world will match whatever we put forth. That's how yeah, I think that's a, such a great point is that people really just have to they have to really want to express their own free will and whatever modality you use, then go for it and use it. If it's Buddhism, if it's, you know, finding Christ consciousness. Um, and it's just so interesting that because there are so many, uh, there are so many corruptive influences out there. Everyone has to use their own discernment. I think you're exactly right that, that people were so trained. I mean, I, that that idea of trust the experts that they've been pushing on us for the last two years to get us to stop to not think for ourselves to not think critically i've done so many interviews about this topic it's almost like everything is coming together about about this topic like whatever topic i'm discussing 
it's always comes back to, are you thinking for yourself or are you letting somebody else do the thinking for you? And this whole spiritual battle, if you will, is exactly that. And, and yet everybody's got to watch out for this inversion. I mean, we, you know, we talked about even certain meditative styles. If your guru is corrupted, then you're going to be participating in this inversion. If you're giving a guru too much of yourself and you're not using your own individual discernment, then you're going to be in trouble. Or, and the same is true if you're going to a church. Depends on who who the preacher is or who the priest is, you know. Um, but I think you're exactly right that we've got to flex our free will muscles here, or else we're going to be in trouble. Well, and and Rudolf Steiner said that this era and on there is only one path of initiation and that path of initiation is everyday life. This is it. Yeah. There's no school to go to. There's no higher authorities who are enlightened and will ease our burden and show us the way. No, no, it's this, it's life itself. For me, I always say every day is Sunday and everywhere is church. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I think that's actually one of the hardest lessons for me personally to learn is to be satisfied with the everyday experience like you're talking about instead of trying to find it somewhere else it's actually already here <laughs> well you're just not you're just not penetrating it deeply enough <laughs> <laughs> i'll keep working on it <laughs> all right well elena thank you so much for coming on this is just an incredible conversation i love i love talking with you um you just have such a great depth of knowledge you've been doing this for so long i can't even imagine uh what it uh, i was preparing for this interview i was listening to some of your other interviews and just realizing that like my god you've been researching this stuff for decades and decades and um and i just know what it's like now i probably only in the last couple of years have i gotten to that place where i can uh, you know like i can have a question i look at the peer reviewed science i look at the patents like you're talking about and i go oh my god they've been working on this stuff for 10 years i you know <laughs> and i can't imagine what it would have been like to be to have this knowledge for as long as you have <laughs> to always you know to know what they've been working on to be trying to tell other people this is what's coming and you know it's what's coming. It's what they're spending billions of dollars on. It's what they've got patented. It's got what they're doing peer-reviewed research on. And nobody's listening to you. You know, nobody's listening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I write these books for people 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the road who go, who are going to wonder what the heck right. went on back then. <laughs> <I know. laughs> I know. Well, I tell you what, you've uh, you've seriously influenced me. And I know there are a lot of other people that are around uh, right now that uh, are gaining from what you're doing. So thanks for the work that you've done. And, and uh, you are getting the word out. It is happening. Um, I'm sure it's better now than it was 10 years ago and, and better then than it was 20 years ago. So yes. pe people are yes. starting to figure it out. What what do you think? What do you think that is going to look like in the next 10 years? We can kind of finish up on this one. Like, do you think that, I mean, do you want to speculate? Do you think that there's like a, a mass awakening about to happen? Or do you think that we're going to have to, you know, those of us who kind of have it figured out are going to have to band together and, and figure out how to make it work outside the system or, you know, how do you see well, this playing out? <laughs> well, um, you know, I when I wrote a series I hardly ever talk about, which is the Sub Rosa America series, uh, I had a scenario very much like 
what's going on right now, <laughs> unbelievably. Yeah. You know, I go back to that year in 1993. I had a dream of the numbers 2019 being like four stories high and on fire. And I wow. was just like, <gasps> and I woke up just, it was so lucid, the red numbers just burning. And uh, so I chose the year 2019 to start the book from mm. a, a looking at a retrospect, looking backward from a, an older character who's hiking into the Rockies on the off of the Oregon Trail. And all of America is collapsing. And, uh, and she, she's going to meet all her friends that she, just a group of friends she had back in the 60s. Uh, they all said that if it came to, that it would all go down, they would all meet at this one place. They all knew where it was. So the whole book is uh, her flashing back to 1970 when a group of seven friends who don't know each other that well are all get in a VW bus and an old Cadillac and head on Route 66 heading for Dallas in order to see where John Kennedy was shot down. And uh, what happens to them on that trip is just loaded with history of America since Kennedy's assassination. The, uh, the Sub Rosa history, the, the underbelly, that uh, you, you won't find in most history books. But, you know, uh, I've always said that uh, my, my Sub Rosa series should be next to Howard Zinn's A People's History mm. of the United States of America, because even though I have it in a fictional format so that I could, I could justify the 60s generation as not being like what Time Magazine and Newsweek said it was of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Right. It was actually also political and spiritual quest. I mean, you know, with long discussions into the night, long, long discussions on history, because we had a good education back then. We actually knew some things about history. Right. <laughs> now kids don't have any idea. So um, that that's kind of my thought in writing those books because of how they end. And I didn't know the ending until I got to it, to tell you the truth, uh, was we might have to start over. Yeah. And I'm still, I'm still there. I'm still there. There is no going back. And, uh, and who will be left who will truly be human? I don't know that yet. But I know that there will be a humanity and that the fat lady has not sung yet. I know that. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I actually think, I don't know. I, I might even be looking forward a little bit to if there is a, a dichotomy that's happening, if, you know, there's going to be those that are under control of the system and those who aren't. And for those of us who aren't, I think we can make a really great life for ourselves, you know, <laughs> and it's going to be new and different. And we're going to have, you know, struggles and figuring out how to get food and make clothes and whatever else that we need to do. But I just think that we're going to get through and, and figure out a, a new way that's going to be uh, very much just very much better than, than even, I, I mean, because we've all been living under this control system just because they're amping it up. My whole life under it. My yeah. whole life. Yes. And, and I think you're a definite candidate for the Sub Rosa America series. Nice. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of survival stuff in it. Uh, you know, anyway, 
I should anyway. check it out. I mean, I've I've uh, I've been toying toying with it. I've known about it since uh, you know for a few years now since our last interview. But um, well, when I when I met Allison McDowell in uh, in Tucson, she was on book number three. Oh, really? <laughs> Interesting. Good to know. Yep. All right. Well, maybe we'll do an interview about Sub Rosa, and oh, yeah. we'll come oh, back yeah. full circle. <laughs> <laughs> Well, do you want to let people know? I I actually was just looking. I didn't um, because the book, the new book, is just coming out. I didn't get a chance to read it for this. It interview. is out. It is out. I but, saw it was out know, on Amazon. Sporadically, because it's making its way. Okay. Yeah. The, here's how it works. The it's 690 pages, 60 illustrations. Um, to make it, I didn't want to make it cost prohibitive for the masses of people who might want to read it. Uh, so there's a a version that is black and white. Had I gone color, it would have been seventy five dollars to buy it. Okay. This way, it's uh, it's it, I think it's about forty or forty five, um, and uh, for the black and white. Then for if you want a special color edition, uh, a very nice book owner in Seattle at the Rudolf Steiner Bookstore has volunteered to uh, carry a color version of the color illustrations uh, that you can buy for maybe $15 more than the other one. And that one is you just go to the Rudolf Steiner bookstore uh, and, um, and get in touch with him. And he knows exactly what that is for the others. It's the usual Amazon and your bookseller, your bookstore to have them order it, to go to the library and have them order it. It's the usual kind of thing. I was with Feral House for the first two books, and I finally left them just so I could make a little bit more on each book, and and I mean little. Uh, and uh, they were very good to me, and I I have nothing but praise for their products that mm-hmm. they did. But I've decided to go on my own because my fan base was large enough that I could do that. And um, the website I can point people to ilanafreeland.com. And that's great because my webmistress keeps it up, and it's uh, it's just chock full of MK Ultra, uh, uh, geoengineering, uh, targeting. Uh, I, I I let I have a lot to say about a lot of things. Sounds good. I'll definitely point people in that direction then, and uh, I'll just let the audience know that you've been listening to the Shift. I'm your host Doug McKinty, and you can check out all of my stuff at www.theshiftnow.com. Uh, I've got radio programs going back for uh, ten years now. Then I started out on uh, public radio here in Northern California, and I've got um, like forty or so of those. So there's actually hundreds of interviews. Uh, up uh, on the website now so you can check all of that out and uh, please think about subscribing to the newsletter because that's how I keep in touch I'm also on Facebook uh, under my name Doug McKinty there is a shift Facebook page but it doesn't get any traction for some reason so my personal page is where most of the action's at even though I should probably I'm thinking about just dropping the social media thing entirely after they call themselves metaverse but (laughs) And, uh, and you can get me on Twitter at D McKenty. So thanks everybody for listening. This was a great conversation. Thanks Alana for the work that you do. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Take care. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was my conversation with Alana Freeland. Uh, really happy to speak with her again. I uh, think she was somewhere around episode 30. Uh, so it's been a few years actually since the last time I talked to her, but, uh, when I first, 
did that first interview. I read the first two books and they really actually just blew my mind. I'd kind of heard about uh, a lot of the stuff that she was talking about uh, in terms of the chemtrails and especially the macro picture, the geoengineering. But uh, when you read the books and you see all the sources and, and she really does paint this big picture, uh, it's kind of astonishing the technologies that they're working on in terms of not just working on, but actually rolling out as we speak now. Uh, in terms of using the electromagnetic spectrum not only to control the macro scale, the, the weather systems, uh, even causing earthquakes and other kind of natural phenomenon, really tapping into the electromagnetism that the natural world uses on that macro scale, uh, but also on the micro scale in terms of the fact that our, guess what, our human bodies also use a lot of electromagnetism. Uh, and this electromagnetic magnetic system can be tweaked to influence how we think and the kinds of emotions that we feel. Uh, and so it's actually quite astounding to discover that the government has been researching how to manipulate these things again on the macro and the micro scale uh, for decades now and they're getting better and better and better at it and the new book uh, which I haven't read yet I think it's just now coming out so I didn't get a chance to get a copy before the interview but I wanted to do this interview now just to kind of prep for it and hopefully I'll have her back on here in the next month or two after I get a chance to read it so we can really uh, go in depth uh, into the new material but in the new book, she's able to take all that information uh, and then apply it to the transhumanist movement and the nanotechnology that's really being uh, been developed in the last five or ten years and now is being uh, rolled out into this huge technocratic panopticon uh, that is very challenging to believe if you can't see it, uh, if you haven't looked into it. Um, but the fact of the matter is, and this happens to me, I find out, uh, about a new aspect of the graphene oxide uh, or the metallic when people started sticking magnets to their arms after the vaccinations and things like that. And you look into it and lo and behold, you can find peer-reviewed scientific studies uh, that show that, yeah, they've been working on this kind of technology and yeah, it uses uh, highly magnetic materials and yeah, they've been studying how to use uh, graphene oxide to grow tubules inside of people's bodies and to uh, be used as transmitters and conductors uh, of 5G, 6G information uh, that can then influence how the internal system works, influence how you think, influence how you feel. Um, and then you can go and look at the patents. This is another uh, aspect of research that once you start looking into the patents, there are things like voice-to-skull technology that she mentioned in her previous work, uh, where they're learning how to project voices inside people's heads. They think they're going crazy. Uh, but then you look and there's a patent for the technology. And it's like, what? Why are these people working on this? And this is another thing, and I, I want to have a conversation a little bit more in depth. We talked about it just a little bit in this interview, but this dual use uh, situation that's going on with, with actually with humanity's technological progression. I think most people really have this feeling that science is just sort of naturally evolving and individuals are coming up with these incredible uh, inventions and then they're able to make these practical applications, engineer these applications that are just so wonderful for the human experience and make our lives so much easier. Um, and, you know, these people, these inventors uh, have the humanity's best interests at heart. 
and they go to the corporations or they they're working for the corporations uh, and the corporations go wow yeah we can you know mass produce this stuff and we can get it out there and and humanity and civilization is becoming more technological and hence that means we're improving we're more advanced we we have this this value judgment that puts this huge amount of positivity uh, on civilization's technological advance and this is how most people think that our civilization is evolving towards a better place for humanity uh, but in fact when you do the amount of work and the research and for the length of time that Alana has done she has really nailed it in terms of the fact that all new technologies come out of these classified projects they all start with the military industrial complex and so the people who are in charge of the military industrial complex, whoever those people are, right? We don't even, these are black budget operations classified. They're the ones deciding what technologies are being developed. And they have essentially unlimited funding, billions and billions of dollars from the government going into the military industrial complex, not very well tracked, as we know from the work of Catherine Austin Fitz and others. Uh, so hundreds of billions of dollars potentially getting funneled into the creation of technologies for a purpose that is not really you know, not really controlled by, certainly by the democracy, certainly by open debate, but instead couched inside of this whole classified defense industry. Uh, and we don't really understand where it's going. And this is another point that I wanted to make about this. There's something in science, I think a lot of people also have this perception that science progresses in a positive way. It just, as we, science invents an invention, it's the next level of human progress as we advance towards some kind of, you know, mystical utopia that we're all going to not have to work very hard and have everything that we need. Um, but in fact, Science goes in the direction that the scientist is looking towards. There has to be a destination that somebody determines. So who's determining the destination that all of this uh, scientific infrastructure within the military-industrial complex is going towards? Are they... Are they focusing on harmonizing with nature so that we can build a civilization uh, that works in harmony and sustainability with natural processes? Or, and this is what Alana has uncovered, are they working on integrating human beings, organic life, into some kind of transhumanist, techno-fascist control panopticon uh, that they see as the kind of future that they want to manufacture, and the rest of us are just going to go along for the ride, I guess, right? I mean, what we discussed, what I just discussed with Alana, was talking about the fact that humanity, very shortly here, may really not have the ability to exercise free will. I mean, already there's an argument that can be made with the amount of propaganda, the amount of subliminal messaging that's all over uh, our society. Are we really in control of our own choice-making abilities right now. So much misinformation is out there. It's so difficult to parse the, the real truth, the reality, from this fictitious universe that we're getting fed every day. But very soon, it's going to be more than just propaganda. It's going to be a, the literal ability to, to target individuals, to target population centers, uh, to target groups of people, to at, le at the very least nudge them towards uh, thinking differently, making different choices than they would if they just were exercising their own free will. This is a very real and very serious situation that I hope uh, that the listeners are, are starting to understand. 
Uh, and I think it's, uh, it's one of the most important aspects of Alana's work is to first of all understand that that our human progress is being determined by a handful of people that are behind the scenes in this industrial military industrial complex. It's not somehow evolving for the benefit of mankind. It's evolving for the benefit of these few people that have access to these corporations and can make the choices about, you know, what DARPA is researching and, and what these different uh, different um, scientific agencies, which are public and private both, uh, are looking to create for the rest of, of civilization. The What are the smart cities? What are the 5G networks? What is this metaverse? What is the virtual reality? Who's building the AIs, right? So much of this is coming out of public funding, and the public's not allowed to look and see what's going on with that funding. I also wanted to touch on, and just as a part of, of the scientific progression, I think that, um, you know, again, people think that we're sort of materialistically evolving through some kind of, through this progress as science, quote unquote, this mythological science predetermines what's best for humanity, when in fact, it's actually coming out of the imagination or the psyche of the people who are in charge of funding the science. They're deciding what they're going to look for, and then they're building that out in the real world, right? And so, you know, when Alana makes statements like, um, there's the very narrow part of the electromagnetic spectrum that human beings can actually see uh, and hear, and so there's a, a lot going on, a lot of information, and I think of it kind of like a Wi-Fi network, but the na in, within the natural Wi-Fi network, right, we're all naturally uh, being inundated with aspects of the spectrum that are outside of our ability uh, to see. And so this is where, and I always say this, every other culture in the history of the world has understood that there are other consciousnesses uh, within and outside of the spectrum, and these consciousnesses then can manifest themselves in a variety of ways. Some people say, you know, they can actually enter our bodies and affect our health. Uh, I kind of like to think of it in terms of, of uh, the psyche or the archetype, uh, that there is an archetypal world that affects how we think and our imaginations and how we dream the world into being and then what we manifest in this three-dimensional reality uh, after uh, having contact with these um, these aspects of the spectrum that are outside of our ability to directly interact with. So there is something that's working outside of this material realm that's influencing what is being produced in the material realm. And uh, I'm about to have a conversation for next week with Paul Levy. Uh, he's got a new book coming out, but about his concept of the Wittico virus. And we're going to talk about this in depth. So even though that concept I know sounds really far out, uh, again, Many, many cultures have found this to be true, uh, and I think if you really look into it and if you really think about it, you know, it takes an imagination to think about what to create, what to manifest in the, in the three-dimensional reality. Um, and we have all been taught that there's this sort of materialistic... Uh, action that's just causing progress over time, but it doesn't really work that way. It's something to, to think deeply about. It's something that Alana really, really touches in. I think um, this is a difficult concept, but I think it's an important aspect of decolonizing our mind. I think when we are colonized into this empire, we've been given this way of thinking that's very materialistic, and it seriously limits our ability to tap into our own free will. Um, so in that sense, if you think about it, a lot of these 
concepts of materialism have been used, I think, by the upper classes for hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, to keep the lower classes from being able to tap into the free will that's allowed if you understand that you are directly connected energetically to the creation of your own reality. This is an, a self-empowerment that is taken from the colonizers when they colonize a culture. Uh, and so if you're interested in decolonizing your mind, then part of decolonization is really being open-minded to these aspects of how energy works, uh, how these subtle energies work, and these esoteric concepts of creation uh, really might be the actual way that reality works. And again, uh, I, we got into it a little bit with Alana talking about the etheric body, strengthening the etheric body uh, in order to maintain uh, as much free will as possible as things progress forward. Um, but I'll be talking about that with Paul Levy again next week, so stay tuned for that. Uh, and I'll just let you know, if you want to get uh, any of Alana's books, you can find her information at www.ilanafreeland.com. Uh, and I urge you again to check that out. I would read all three of the books. Uh, again, I think uh, Engineered Transhumanism is just coming out. Uh, once I get a chance to read it, I'll invite her back and we'll have a more of an in-depth conversation. Uh, so we'll be looking forward to that. And... Uh, as always, you can go to www.theshiftnow.com to get more information about this show, hours of free content, and subscribe to the feature-length versions of all of my episodes uh, for just six bucks a month. Uh, you can also find The Shift with Doug McKenzie on YouTube, Facebook, Odyssey, uh, Twitter, at DMcKenzie, um, and I'm also at Rockfin. Rockfin is becoming my favorite go-to uh, in terms of checking out the videos. Uh, and I'm on SoundCloud if you just want to get the audio. But go to uh, the website, theshiftnow.com, and it'll all be right there at your fingertips. So thanks again, everybody, for listening. And we'll, uh, we'll catch you again next week. Take care, everybody. Mm -hmm.